Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, good evening. It's 5.30 drive time. You're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb. But perhaps you're also listening around the world. So wherever you are, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's a pleasure to be here with you now. It's also a great pleasure to have my new friend, Deanne. So uh, Deanne and I spoke a few days ago, and uh, I... uh, went on quite a bit but she's a, a fascinating person am i am i trying to flatter her no you're about to find out why so deanne welcome to the show thank you so much julian so uh, deanne you know we, we spoke uh, uh, a few days ago in regards to your book which we're going to go into more detail soon um but also you know you've you've had uh, quite a, a colorful life shall we say. And uh, so tell us, you know, a, a little bit, first of all, about yourself as we as we move into your book. I am, uh, my name is Deanne Alford. I am originally, I was born in South Louisiana. I grew up, however, in a hood in Shreveport, Louisiana, which is now the poorest zip code in the state. And I wanted nothing more than to get out. <laughs> and... Uh, before I knew I was poor, I remember learning in second grade about cultures, and I learned about Hawaii. And the teacher, I wanted to go, and the teacher heard my enthusiasm and said, well, let's save our money and we'll go. I was serious. <laughs> and I learned from my son, however, James, that's not a normal response. He did not want to go anywhere, and he still does not want to go anywhere. So looking back now, I, it was put there by the Lord. He instilled me with the call to write and the call to go. And so, um, you know, you, you had a couple of interesting moments in your life. I know there was, um, God called you to where to study, what to study, who to marry. (laughs) Uh, so there was, uh, the, 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 tell us first of all, cause I, 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 I find it uplifting, uh, at least for me, um, you know, your story of conversion. I was at the University of Costa Rica as a Rotary Scholar, and that was part of my quest to be important. I won this prestigious scholarship, and the Rotary Foundation of Rotary International sent me to Costa Rica in Central America, where I worked a year on a degree in Latin American studies from the University of Costa Rica. And in Costa Rica, I was the belle of the ball. 
and everybody thought I was rich because I was associated with the Rotary Club, which in Central America and most of that area, you have to be wealthy to be part of the Rotary Foundation, Rotary International. And of course I was not. And, but everything fell apart. I found that being around important people, important people, wealthy people, and finally having a little money that I could not have to worry about penny pinching for the first time ever. And, uh, but things, the Lord allowed all that to wipe away within a couple of weeks. And I found myself lonely and uh, needing something to get me out of my mess. And uh, that's what uh, the Rotary Club secretary realized and she wanted me to go to her church. I wanted nothing to do with it. I was raised in a church, but I was not interested. But I became, I had become so miserable that one Sunday morning I went to her church and I arrived there after a series of buses and changing buses. And I didn't know where I was. And the Lord sent people along the way to get me to church. And uh, Doña Cecilia was her name. And she saw me walk into the back of the building and and she grabbed me by the hand, sat me down. I sobbed through the rest of the sermon. And as soon as the final amen was spoken, she took me across the sanctuary to meet an American missionary named Debbie Taylor. Mm. That's where it began. Well, it didn't begin there. It actually began before the foundation of the earth. But that was, I looked to Debbie as being my spiritual mom. Great. And you were saying how um, me putting words into your mouth was that, at your point of conversion, you were just like, okay, all right, Lord, over to you. You know, I've uh, I've done the best I can, and so I give my life to you. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And you were saying how everything was, was new, you, like quote, unquote, you know, I have it in my pencil here, you know, that you were uh, fill, filled with joy, and light bulbs went on everywhere, and everything was new. Uh, and so you said to Lord, uh, what should I do? And he said, go and study journalism. And, and, uh, and so, uh, so you, you did that. And then, um, so, 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 so you, you started journalism, you're starting to, to write. And then, um, suddenly you're, uh, you're bumping into a guy named Russell and, uh, and, and this leads into your, your book and uh, remind us of the title of your book. My book, and I'll show it here. It's Please called do. Victorious. The Impossible Path to Peace. And if this is an audio, then you're not going to see it, but it's on the video. And um, yes, and this, um, these are symbols that uh, represent the journey mm. of, uh, this, is, this is Chuck Bitterman's grave. He was a martyred Bible translator. He was kidnapped by M-19 guerrillas in Colombia on January 19, 1991, and this is uh, cocaine and a machine gun. This is uh, military and their bandoliers of bullets. And uh, this is a Bible being, and I took a picture of this. It was a Bible being parachuted. Uh, this is how Russell would get God's word into areas of Colombia where guerrillas forbade. Mm. And where guerrillas forbade the uh, the um, 
distribution of the Bible. They forbade even a gathering of two people singing a hymn in a house. So a little background information. Um, Deanne's uh, friend, colleague, uh, brother in Christ, Russell, he uh, would fly this small little plane and uh, parachute Bibles in, uh, and they would land down. And then uh, when he wasn't busy being kidnapped, um, kidnapped six times, I believe, uh, he was converting uh, the gorillas there. And so, so tell us a little bit about the, the, the background to your book. So it's in, it's in Colombia, and um, what, what, what was the state of Colombia, both you know, militarily, spiritually at that time? Colombia has been a quagmire as long as there's been a Colombia. The, the natural state of Colombia, unlike the other equally poor areas of Latin America, it, uh, it, even before the Spaniards came over, the history was that of warfare and people settling vendettas through, through murder through violence, through revenge killings. It was a vicious cycle and nothing changed. And the decade of 1949 to 1959 was La Violencia, which direct cognate, the violence. It was a time where factions, the the conservative party allied with the military and the Roman Catholic Church had a war with the Liberal Party, which was, and this is not conservative and liberal in the mm. in the modern sense. Uh, it has nothing to do with economic policy. It, it had to do with uh, who's going to run this country, right? And so the they're all at war when the conservatives killed the popular left candidate named uh, Jorge Eliezer Gaitan, and that began. Bogotá, which was a riot in Bogota, and it unleashed the the violence that took place over ten years. Wow! So, so uh, from your description, Colombia is uh, has been a, a violent place where, uh, obviously, when two powerful sides are colliding, it's the uh, the innocent, the the everyday people, you know, Joe Joe public, you know, who who, who suffer. So um, my my question to you know to Russell and past and to you was you know well uh, what what was your what you know Russell and your what was your plan in going there why you know there, there, there's this place it, it's filled with violence with gangs with drugs with other things we won't go into um, why why go well this all began with me in a rather unusual circumstance that I can look at now and say, this is totally the Lord. I was calling a friend and the phone conversation cut in on sisters visiting like they always used to visit on the phone at night and uh, after supper. And so instead of hanging up, she, we ended up conversing for an hour (laughs) and one thing led to another and it turns out the Betty, her name was Betty Bales, and she just went to be with the Lord about a year ago. And Betty's son was a former classmate of mine. And so there was that connection. She, uh, Her son, Daryl, had been invited. She knew a Spanish, a Colombian businessman who wanted a tutor for his to improve his English. And Daryl wasn't interested. She asked if I were interested. And I was 17 years old. And I said, yes. Well, my mother had to affirm this. I confirm, permit this, but yes. And 
So I went to Bogota, Colombia, arriving on the 27th of August of 1983, which that date was in my passport. I didn't notice it until I ran across that passport a few years ago. And August 27th now has significance because it was the following week after Russ Stendhal was kidnapped in 1983. So I showed up right as he'd been taken hostage. And August 27 was also the birthday of Debbie Taylor, who had led me to Christ. Mm-hmm. And August 27 was also the birthday of the man the Lord called me to marry. Hmm. Well, um, Doug, Land- Doug. Doug, yeah, get, get him in. Make sure we get yeah, him in. Yeah, I got to get Doug in. in. There you go. What does Doug do? Doug is a high school teacher. Yeah. Math. Go for Doug. So, yes. So, um, you know, that, yeah. yeah so we're, we're back, 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 back to sort of Columbia and, and your book, you know, so it, it's victorious, the impossible path to peace. So the name kind of spells it out, really. I mean, um, the, the, the setting that you've uh, you've painted for us is, is one of Columbia um, at the time, you know, when the rebels there were well, the FARC is that F.A.R.C. Is that right? FARC rebels. Yes. And so uh, and so, you know, um, uh, Russell's been on hit lists for, you know, decades and uh, all sorts of things, and so, so how to tell us the story of how? Um, because this doesn't sound very victorious, you know. This sounds like uh, there's many people dying, <clears throat> innocent people suffering. Uh, where, where, where's the victory bit? The victory comes in how what can stop this spiral of revenge and reprisal and more violence, and the victory comes in Christ. When you see the, the Lord intervening among some of the worst of the worst people and the amazing thing was when, how do, where do I begin? This is, a, this is a challenge to figure out where to begin in the story. Uh, let me talk about, about the prison. Okay. There's six chapters about Bay of Easter Prison, which contains every group of goon, miscreant, scoundrel, uh, charlatan imaginable. It's uh, fart guerrillas, paramilitaries, common criminals, uh, mafiosos, um, so dirty pl- cops. Not a place you want to be. No. And the island of peace, the 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 era of peace, if you will, began in riots where formerly the prison was a cauldron of death, 60 deaths per year, per month, excuse me, per month. That was the murder rate some months. It was 60 per month, people settling scores within the prison. And, uh, and it got so bad, the, the prison guards and prison staff were being killed as well. And there was a mass walk off the job in 1989. And the military was about to go in and restore order by sending in a bunch of commandos with machine guns. And a church pastor asked permission if after he, he, he and his church fast and prayed for two weeks and to go in with white flags, singing hymns, to stop the violence Mm. and the military thought he was nuts but (laughs) let him do it 
<laughs> and this church began with their white flags singing in the quarters and the pastor got on the loudspeaker the pa system of the prison and began praying and speaking peace and the prisoners started throwing down their weapons that was the Oof. beginning of the revival in medellin's bay of Vista prison i left out narco traffickers as well this was right in the middle of the pablo escobar era when narco traffickers were running the country pablo escobar stood to make colombia the world's first narco state and it's it's difficult to imagine just how bad it was mm. and this horrible prison was a little microcosm of it and the a, a biblical hebrew professor named janine brabon began ministering in the prison and she set up a chapel program with that pastor and also Bay of Easta Bible Institute. This is in a small scale version of where peace comes. This is the impossible path to peace. Yeah. Christians going into a rioting prison and singing hymns and rioting prisoners could have just as easily shot them all dead. Instead, yeah. they throw their weapons down. So impossible pause, but it happened pause for one second you're listening to the kingdom and its stories my name is julian gibb and you're listening to deanne deanne alford with her book victorious the impossible path to peace and so what's so impossible well we've just been hearing and uh correct me where i go wrong so there's one of the most violent prisons in the country in the world uh where um murderers uh, drug traffickers uh guerrilla warfare soldiers are, are hiding out and uh, it's so violent that basically you go in and you, there's a good chance of you dying from another prisoner uh, and it's so violent that the staff, the prison uh, guards there uh, just walk off the job because uh, it's, you know, it's, too, it's too dangerous and yet um, uh, a group of Christians go in and uh, start preaching to these um well, these people, should we say, and uh, rather than which you'd expect them being ripped to shreds, they dropped their guns and started listening. Yes. And then what happened? Janine set up the Bible Institute and the prison became a, only under 10% became Christian, but it was enough to change the whole environment of the prison. And the prison, the murder rate, dropped to less than one per year. For, wow. So from 60 yes. a month. Per month, yes. To one a year. Mm -hmm. that's, wow. that's a big reduction. And <laughs> the only way that's possible, what, what that shows is that it doesn't take very many people to change the tenor of a place, to change the atmosphere. And I think about candlelight communion, and it starts with our pastor, and the whole sanctuary is dark, and he lights a candle. And then that candle passes and two others light the candle off the pastor's candle and soon it spreads throughout the church. But let's say even if there's just a few people, let's say there's under 10% of the people in the church with a lit candle, it's still enough to see and it's still enough to totally change the atmosphere. Wow. So, you know, that 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 is a very encouraging, poignant message right there, you know, because, you know, as we read in scripture as well, we hear about, you know, just 
like a, it's it's in relation to the tongue, but you know, it was here how a rudder, you know, it's just a small part of a ship, you know, and yet it can steer that great vessel. And here, you know, taking that scripture a little bit out of context from a different meaning, but you know, we often think, ah, oh, we can't do anything here. That that the environment's too bad. And yet, as you're saying, it just takes a small group of people who can work through that whole community and change it. Yes, that's exactly what the chapters in Victorious share is this impossible thing that happened. And it's repeated, impossible forgiveness between paramilitary victims, forgiving those who who killed their loved ones. Because I'm going I'm to ask about that now, because I know, uh, you know being a parent myself, the... Um the paramilitary, they, they would go in, you know, in your book, they say, you know, they would go into uh, schools and in homes and snatch the children, take them up into the mountains and recruit them into, um, to rebels. Actually, go, that's, go uh, well, not the paramilitaries would do that. The FARC would the do FARC, that. Excuse me, the FARC. So, the FARC would do that. So, you know, the, the, they would go in and get them to uh, do errand messages, transport drugs, weapons, and so forth. And so just the thought of snatching a poor child you know, uh, and putting them into that situation. But give us more examples from your book um, into, into you know, like, like with the prison story, how, uh, ha- how Christ has been victorious within, uh, within Colombia. I'm kind of hesitant to give some spoilers from victorious, but sure. I'll okay. tell you. Okay. Uh, let, me, let me think. Um, well, okay, I will give you a spoiler, okay? Read the book anyway. You, yeah, yeah. Let, let me do a plug because I, I shamefully will. There's so <laughs> many stories, so many positive examples within this book. You know, uh, the the only other words that aren't encouraging are things like and and it and on. So, you know, they're just connecting words. This is a book packed with examples that I know for me was sort of just hit me between the eyes and said, you know, Julian, this 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 message really does work. If it can work in these situations, it can work in Paradise Valley, <laughs> for, you know, uh, Arizona. So, um, so 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 do do share one or two more. The the case in point I remembered. Well, the head of the the chapel, the director, his name was Enrique Rivera, and everybody just called him Rivera, and he had been a dirty cop. And he came to, he had, the last thing he stole, he had killed a bunch of people. And he wouldn't tell, you don't ask, if they volunteer it, yes, but they don't want to talk about their past. But I did learn that he had killed several people. And part of the social cleansing of, of the army and the military was just killing off the rabble, as they, they termed it, without any due process of law. And... So Enrique just said, when I asked him, finally, I just asked him, how many did you kill? And he just said, muchos, many. Mm. So he had stolen a briefcase from a man on a bus. And there were three things that was, this is what he got finally arrested for. The The briefcase had, or he was holding the stolen briefcase when they actually came to get him for one, for, for murder. And it contained a a man's watch, an agenda book, calendar, daily calendar, and a Bible. And 
he started reading the Bible, even as I don't know how he managed to keep the Bible if he wasn't confiscated as evidence, but he was reading the Bible as he got as he was being processed. And Mm -hmm. the day he ended up in Bay of Easter prison, the prison fellowship ministry, the, the chaplain, the chaplaincy had people that share the gospel with every prisoner when they come in. And he accepted Christ the day he went into Bay of Easter. I don't remember how many years he served for one count of murder. And, uh, but he is now a psychologist. He went to university after that. He got a degree in psychology and now he works for prison fellowship and he shares his testimony with, with in schools and in other venues. And he's got a powerful testimony. And so he blessed brother in Christ. And it's just an honor to, to, to still be, I, I last spoke to him. It was several years ago. It was after I found out about the death of a friend of his that had also been in the chapel and I spoke with him. So, so you've really, you know, the, the, these are just, uh, well, the prison's not a small example, but this, you know, it's just another example of how people have been introduced to Christianity. And I know in Colombia with the uh, Marxist movement, you know, uh, converting to Christianity was, you know, you, you're a traitor. And so uh, just seeing these people who were once, uh, you know, killing and against Christianity being converted to uh, the Lord, and then living their lives to bring this, as you say, impossible peace. So rather than waging war, they're now waging a campaign of, of peace within Colombia. Is that is that correct? Yes. In fact, Russ Stendhal calls his ministry the uh, peace campaign. It's a Colombia para Cristo, Colombia for Christ, oh, peace campaign. And well, he does wage peace. <laughs> well, I so this is uh, my friend Deanne Alford, Victorious, The Impossible Path to Peace. And you can get it from Amazon. You can get it from all sorts of places. I would suggest you read it. But remember, go and wage peace. Go and live out the message wherever you are, whether Colombia or America or wherever. Deanne, thank you for joining us on the show. Pastor Julian, thank you so very much for your time. And uh, God bless you. Follow me next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360. We'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.